we'd use euphemisms such as like time of the month or your mate or uh, not the proper word. Um, you would laugh or use deflection techniques to kind of put it away from you. And then, uh, yeah, so there's kind of these things that go on, which it is normal. It's just what, not normal, but it, it's been the way it has. But a lot of these open dialogues completely throw that on its head um, because it, it when something's out in the in the open and not, uh, it kind of, it's very difficult to have a stigma around something that's talked about openly. Kia ora koutou. that was Emma O'Loughlin. I'm Matt Raymond. I'm Eugene Bingham. And this is Dirt Church Radio, interesting conversations with interesting runners. Wild things. Get on board with your uh, DCR 2022 uh, code to take advantage yes. of the VIP membership, 15 months for the price of 12 uh, and get onto the trail directory and the peak directory because there's about 1,400 trails in the Wild Things directory. It's a massive resource and it just keeps on growing and growing and you can use it to find maps and directions and descriptions of trails all over Aotearoa and uh, there's that peak directory too. So check them both out at wildthings.club. If you're not a VIP member already, get on board. Use that code, DCR2022. Whilst you're out and about getting together because, you know, nothing to worry about anymore, um, fraternising or sororitising, I don't know what the goers with that, uh, you could be wearing your scop suits because we need to be paying attention to staying off the trails if it's super wet and if you want a really lovely pair of road shoes, I would recommend the striking yellow and tiger stripey scop pursuits. I've put about I know, a million kilometres in mine and they're going super strong if you go to scottrunning.nz scottrunning.nz for a super sweet pair of light cushioned road kicks They'll do you right. Speaking of things that go on your feet, I am wearing on my feet as we speak, because it is getting a little bit cooler, a pair of Montaigne Prism booties. Now, that's not Prism booty. Mm. That's a different thing. It's Montaigne Prism booties, described on the label without a trace of irony as end-of-day booties, mm. the end-of-day booty. And I tell you, it's like wearing two puffer jackets on your feet. I feel comfy. Zipped up, nice and cosy. There's no zips, Eugene. It's just yeah, a simple... This, you know, you're zipped up nice and cosy. You know, it's just I'm saying. contained. Yeah, I'm yeah. comfy. And I, I'm reveling in the luxury of the Montaigne Prism. Prism, not prison, prism booty. A further faster, the best independently owned outdoor store in the known universe. Furtherfaster.co.nz they got something like further, faster, they're in Christchurch Rocky is hairy and so is Badger Jules is nice and Jacob is delicious Go to further, faster now Oh, further, faster, they're in Christchurch Rocky is hairy and so is Badger Jules is nice and Jacob is delicious Go to further, faster now Dirt Church Radio Episode 192 of Dirt Church Radio We made it we have. We did make it. Mm. And I just, I need to make it abundantly clear that I wasn't being silly in the advert. Uh, the, the, these things that I've got on my feet, they are on the label that do say end of day booty. Um, I, think, I think we got that. I think we got that. 
Yeah. It's been a funny old week. Funny old week. Funny, funny old week. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, I'm reverting back to my 12-year-old humour, which isn't very far away at any time. It's always there. It's sort of like a dolphin sort of rises up and then sinks, sinks below. But, um, well, I mean, what, what have you been up to, Eugene? Well, I spent most of it inside, tucked up, um, zipped up with the old Rona, uh, which was an interesting experience. We were just talking about it off mic. I was saying glad that I had my three shots. Wouldn't like to have taken that on with any less. And um, also this variant as opposed to some of the more dangerous ones. But mm. um, yeah, it wasn't fun. It wasn't fun. At one point felt like woke up feeling like somebody had attacked my throat with a chainsaw. Um, so yeah, I've been, but I have been reading up too on getting back into, you know, because I was, I was feeling pretty fit before um, I went down with it. And I've sort of been reading up on what's the best approach to get back into it, uh, get back into to running. Obviously, I don't want to jump straight back in. Um, to be honest, I didn't feel like running at all for most of it. Um, today I went for a walk uh, and I'll probably just do walking this week and then next week reintroduce some sort of nice gentle running because I don't want to, I don't want to rush back in and, you know, feel bad and lose fitness uh, because I have to go, you know, recuperate. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. Interesting. Anyway. Mm. It's it's the balance, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you're so right. I, the The fear of losing function and losing yeah. fitness versus the fear of like yeah destroying yourself and 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 being out for longer i i tell you what we're recording this monday night i do a very very gentle run every monday mm. morning five six between five and seven kilometers super gentle um i love it it's one of the highlights of my week i like yes mm. i get to get up in the morning do a nice little you know it's it's a it's a jog. It's, yep. it's super fun. It sets the tone for the day. And I mean, I love, here's to looking after yourself. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally, totally. And that was the interesting thing from talking to Hayden Hawks last week, wasn't it? See the suit I did there. But, um, you know, the recovery aspect of his training and building that in. And um, it's so much part of training, isn't it? It's not just the running yourself into the ground. It's actually looking after yourself and making sure that you, you know, uh, fed and watered properly, um, you know. So that was that was interesting. I, I felt, and, and we broke some news too. Yeah, you scooped it. You really scooped yeah. it. I, I hope yeah. that you ran from your bedroom down the stairs to the row of payphones, like any good journalist did, and dialed it into your editor. Mm. But um, mm. yeah, Hayden mm. Hawks is yeah going to be at Tarawera One Hundred. Yeah, yeah. Twenty twenty three. It's going to be awesome. Towing the line in the 100K. Um, and great to see this week that he's been hanging out with Daniel Jones. Uh, yeah, how cool, eh? Smashing some of those trials around Utah. That look amazing. Yeah. How cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it'd be cool if you, yeah, I don't know. The If you came down, if he was here in time for Kepler, that'd be sick. But Yeah, yeah. A boy, a, a boy can dream. But look, moving from one amazing conversation about recovery and well-being to another, this week we have the realness we have uh trail runner physiotherapist lecturer phd candidate um ultra trail runner emma o'loughlin um and has been doing some really incredible work looking at how women's menstrual cycles impact on recovery from injury now we need to normalize periods mm. and 
you'll hear the word period a lot in this talk. And if you're the type of person who's now fighting the temptation to throw the headphones into the bush, um, don't, because it's amazing. And it's going, you know, it's something that will affect half of the people that you know and all the athlete, most of the athletes that you know. Uh, and it's an incredible, incredible talk. Like Emma's wise and knowledgeable and mm. um, amazing. And it was just, it was just brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's. I mean, I I learned a lot. She literally pulled me up on some on some one of the misconceptions that I had, which was good. Um, and it's it's a yeah, it's a, something. I mean, Lydia Co set the tone a bit this week for this conversation, didn't she? By talking about how her own period was impacting her performance um, during a golf tournament, and so this feels like good timing. Um, but Emma's been talking about this for a long time, and she's been doing some amazing work. Uh, she's involved in a, a groundbreaking study, uh, which is one of the things we talked to her about. Um, we also cover Gaelic football, the race across America, how your neck falls off, your head falls off, uh, Swiss, Swiss ski resorts, and study, studying the Wu2K. So something in there for everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah, we'll, we'll put a link in the – Put a link in the show notes to the uh, locker room story, and also she sent us some other links to yeah. the kind of the research around what she's talking about in terms mm. of you know periodizing, no pun intended, uh, training. Yeah. So, moving on, Patreon patrons, if you'd like to support what we do, we'd love you to come on board. If you set up a regular donation, even for the cost of a cup of coffee a month or a cup of coffee once off, uh, it would help us. A lot, you or know. A cup of tea. This is a we, we cup don't of mind. tea, a, a, a dirty chai, even. Yeah. But look, the point is, a lot goes into making this podcast. We're coming up on four years doing it, um, and and we love doing it, and we want to keep doing it. So anything that you could contribute to keep the lights on, we'd really we'd really appreciate. And if that's not in your wheelhouse, that's absolutely fine. We're here for everyone, and we'll be here for the long run. So, but if you do want to support us, it's patreoncom radio. Stuff you should know. Stuff you should know. The Exterror series rolls on, uh, continued in Wellington Saturday night with the, the Night Glow event at Makara. I'm getting sick of Wellington being so bloody smug about how good the Exterror events are. Well, they like, are. Oh, it's that, just do it at night. That looks so cool. I mean, running trails at night is just an altogether different experience, isn't it? And it's one of my favourite yeah. things to do. Mm. Uh, and... Just yeah, that, that big group of people and it looks so how, joyful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's lovely. Again, I'm still stoked about uh, seeing people get out and get after it. Yeah, and for sure. Long, long may that last. Yeah, the T42 uh, was on Central Plateau as well. The old famous um, 42.2 kilometer trail run. Um, Doug Moore and uh, Christy Aish took out the wins there, which was good to see. Um, and there were some amazing performances over the weekend in the Northern Hemisphere that we really need to talk about as well, weren't there? John Kelly. So yeah. Barclay Marathon's finisher took on the Wainwrights FKT. Now, oh, I can't even begin to explain the Wainwrights, but it is, it's basically you've got to run every one of the 214 peaks in the Lakes district mm. of the UK. So if you think of a round, which in a future episode we'll explain to you in more detail, um, think of a, a, a 
classic English round like the Bob Graham um, round. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the one that Damien Hall keeps threatening to take us on, Paddy Buckley. Paddy Buckley. Yep. Yep. This is the Wainwright. So it's 515 kilometres, over 214 peaks in the Lakelands. And he completed it in a provisional time of five days and 12 hours, which was 11 hours faster than the time set by Sabrina Veggie in June last year. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. It's just amazing. But you wanted to... Yeah, well, I was was sort of following along on on Twitter and it was cool. Um, A couple of things were cool. One, Sabrina was running with them on the final leg and and had been elsewhere. And I just thought, how cool is it in a sport where someone is literally helping another person to beat them, um, to scrub them from the record books? Well, you know, obviously not because their name will always be there, but uh, I love that. And also, he was still running after five days five and a half days he was still running and looked quite sprightly to be honest what a machine I mean it, it's insane I, I'm just thinking about the Cocodona 250 <clears throat> as yeah. well which was uh, just on also on this, yeah. this weekend um, second year it's been run Cocodona 250 mile um, and certainly you know this isn't for everyone and nor mm. should it be but my god just the performances these 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 people you know um mm. Joe McConaughey um, and Annie Hughes took it home, and I think I think Joe McConaughey was around sort of fifty nine hours, mm. something redonkulous like that. Bananas. And, and yeah, it's bananas. Yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. But Camille here just... set set the scene for how you know we're not just all about the ultra distance because she went for just a short forty miler, short for yep. her, you know. Uh, at the Strolling Gym, which is another Laz Lake special in, in Tennessee, and she rocked up there and took the course record in four hours, 44 minutes and one second, which I was disappointed that she wasn't three seconds slower because it would have been cool, 4.44.4. Anyway, um, she was the outright winner ahead of Harvey Lewis, the Bigs Backyard oh. winner, you know, so 40 miles for those two are just warming up. But still, it was great to see them duking it out. Man. <sighs> Whew. I think we should do this. Greatest run run ever. ever. Greatest run ever. Greatest run ever, which is the part of the show where we ask you to write into us and tell us your greatest run ever. It doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. might just be a run around the block. Something that's sung to you for some reason. You can send them in to us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. Now, I follow this dude on Instagram, and I follow him on Strava, and he's a beast. Yeah. Like, there's there's no other way to really describe it. So respect to you, Tom Kissel. Um, And he writes, uh, don't some of the best things come to you when you least expect it? There's nothing better than a surprise greatest run ever. I'm a very fastidious and pragmatic person, and I can tell you from the amount he runs and at the hour he runs that that's true. Um, And he says, this sounds way better than anal, but let's face it. And I try my best to have a pretty good plan for most runs. This run was no different. I planned to run a tempo session around 16 kilometers before meeting a friend at 6.45 a.m. Do the math on that one. Uh, For another 10k easy trot around Hagley Park in Christchurch. I got into my work and I was pretty sure that the first kilometre was thrown out by a cell tower as it was bang on four minutes and felt way too easy. After four kilometres, I was still running easy. Heart rate was in zone three and I'd knocked out the previous three kilometres at 3.50ish pace, which was flying for me. That's flying for anyone, bro. I decided to go with the sensations and just keep it steady to 10 kilometres before easing off and linking up with my friend. By the time I got to 10 kilometres, I was still feeling great and at 38 minutes, 
minutes, 30 seconds was on one. I decided to push it to 60 minutes, then ease off. When I got to 60 minutes, however, there was some math to do. I was at 15.6 kilometers and had about 15 minutes to make it in time to meet my friend. However, I'd worked out that even if I limped in, I was likely to hold on to half a to a half marathon PB so I made the call and pulled out my phone while trying to run a sub four minute pace which must have looked ridiculous and text my friend to say I'll be about 10 minutes late but was still coming I kept waiting for my legs to fall apart but it never happened in fact quite the opposite I ran the final few kilometers at 3.30 pace negative split the half distance and crushed my PB coming home with a one hour 20 minute 30 second time which is whopping three minutes faster than my previous best I can, and this is in the dark. I can only imagine what was going through my friend's head as he saw me running toward him at full speed, really late, only to run straight past him, yelling, 50 more meters to go! The conversation about what had just happened was a great one. My friend is 30 years older than me and was like a proud dad listening to me harp on about how great I felt out there. We enjoyed another 10k together, which rounded out the session to a little over 31k. Why was this my greatest run ever? Well, I didn't think I'd ever submit a GRE for a road run as I'm mostly on the trails. However, the unexpectedness of the run and the immense sense of satisfaction at going with the flow state I found myself in that morning made it one to remember. There was no taper. In fact, I'd done 20k in the hills that da- the day before and 73k for the week up to that point. There was no nutrition other than a 500ml carbolite. <laughs> carb slash electrolyte drink there was no pacing plan no other runners to pull me through and certainly no finishing shoot yet I enjoyed this one more than most races I've ever done there was no pressure or expectation on anything other than having a great time doing what I love it proved to me that as fastidious and as pragmatic as I try to be this experience proved to me that you can't always plan for your best result whether it's sporting professionally or in your personal life sometimes you just have to be open to going with the flow and seeing what happens. Wow, Tom, thank you. Number of things. One, going with the flow. Tick, yes, absolutely. Uh, number two, texting when you're running at three minute 50 seconds. Holy heck. And, in the and, dark. And number three, what was it? Yeah. Uh, do maths while you're running that pace. Yeah. We've proved that is actually impossible. So you've, well, pulled, we... off, you've pulled off something <laughs> remarkable here, Tom. Well done. To be fair, we weren't running that fast. Uh, Maybe if we had been, we would have been up. No, we wouldn't have been able to. Anyway, amazing, amazing, amazing. Thank you, Tom. (laughs) On to the interview. Sorry, I just need to say, I need to say too, hey, you need to send us in greatest runs ever because the bin is getting empty and we need them from you because people love them. And the amount of people who still say to us, oh, I've got a greatest run ever, I must send it in. It's like, no, do it now, okay? you, You might be out on a run now, just... When you get back to the car or home, whatever, sit down, do it. Doesn't have to be long. Send it into Doesn't us. have to be a race. Doesn't have or to be a mountain summit. That's right. No, it's just something that's sung to you for some reason. That's right. If you're running around the block right now, get back. Send them into, it into us, us. at uh, dirtchurchradio.gmail.com. Yeah. Do it. Right. Sorry, I interrupted. On with the interview. Emma O'Loughlin, she studied at Trinity College in Dublin as a physiotherapist, uh, PhD candidate looking at the impact of women's menstrual, menstrual cycles on injury recovery, a keen runner, cyclist, and Gaelic footballer. Um, we talk about all that, plus race across America, skiing in Switzerland. This is an incredible talk with uh, an amazing healthcare professional and ultra trail runner and get amongst it because it's, it's, it's a brilliant chat with the powerful Emma O'Loughlin. 
This episode of the podcast is sponsored by SOS Hydration. SOS Hydration is designed by a doctor for use by the world's best athletes and for those who push themselves in work, sport, and everyday adventure like drinking on a Monday night. Uh, Use the word church for checkout for a special 15% discount for listeners to this podcast. That's soshydration.co.nz. It's delicious. Uh, Comes in coconut, watermelon, citrus, berry and mango. Uh, I have to say watermelon is the clear favourite for me. Love Uh, me a bit of watermelon. Yeah, you you do. And if you go to soshydration.co.nz, use the code CHURCH for 15% off. Joining us on Dirt Church Radio all the way from Wellington South Coast is Emma O'Loughlin. Kia ora Emma, how are you doing? Kia ora Matt uh, and Eugene. Uh, Not too bad, thanks so much. Just uh, after a long weekend, um, good weather in Wellington, looking out at it from inside for most of the time, which is unfortunate, but has to be done sometimes. So, yeah, not too bad, thanks. Fantastic. Look, I mean, we were super excited to get you on the podcast and what we really wanted to talk to you about is that you know, you're working on a groundbreaking study as part of your PhD thesis. Can you give us an outline of, of what that study is about? Uh, yep. So, um, yep, the study that I'm doing at the moment, so obviously PhD has a couple of different studies uh, in it. The main study that we're looking at um, is a, and here's some scientific words, uh, is a multi-centre, so a randomised controlled trial. Uh, So it's basically a trial going on around the country where we're looking at um, if tailoring some exercises around the menstrual cycle improves outcomes for women after uh, anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction of their knee. So we're basically getting a bunch of women who have a specific injury, uh, this anterior cruciate ligament injury of their knee, and we're getting a bunch of women and we're separating half of them into uh, normal rehabilitation. And then the other half uh, where we're getting them to do strength exercises and periodize to their menstrual cycle. And we're getting them to both groups to do that for uh, three months after their surgery. And at the end of it, we're going to see who has better uh, strength of their injured knee and also who has better functional outcomes. So who feels like they can do more on their knee, hop, jump, skip, turn, twist, uh, go down the stairs, lie in bed, turn in bed, get off the toilet, all the things that you need to do day to day um, that are all important. So we're uh, in the middle of that at the moment, recruiting people have people going through the trial, um, have surgeons recruiting for us around the country, have um, physios recruiting for us, and then have physios in Auckland, uh, Northland, Tauranga, New Plymouth, Wellington, and Wanaka at the moment uh, seeing patients for us. So, yeah, we're full steam in ahead. Is the ACL injury specifically, is that more prevalent? in women than men or is it is it about the same yeah so it is more prevalent uh matt yeah so women are uh, three to six times more likely to get an acl injury compared to a man um so the incidence of the amount of them that actually happen are just a bit less in women but really getting very close now to 50 50 but because you actually have less women in sport as compared to men, the actual numbers of them 
women compared to men is, is a lot higher. So yeah, the, uh, there is a big difference there. And I wonder if you're wondering why that is. Yeah, no, that, that yeah, is absolutely. Absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's a couple of different reasons. So uh, we kind of think about how women are a bit different to men. So a lot of the previous research before was always, you know, our anatomy is different. So we have a wider hip angle when we jump and 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 um, land. Then our knees buckle inwards because our hips are wider, and so um, our ACL is thinner um, than than a male's. And so everyone needs to always think, you know, it was we've a more tr- mass around our trunk so unless maybe core stability to be able to maintain our physical space uh, when our physical kind of position when we land from space so a lot of the previous research was in that there's a little bit more research at the moment which is uh, inconclusive but uh, they're doing more in it which basically looks at the time that a lot of these are happening and they there seems to be an association with around that kind of middle uh, part of your menstrual cycle when you release an egg and that is they're thinking it's to do with kind of the hormones that are released around that time um estrogen which actually makes your uh they're wondering if that kind of makes your hormones a little bit lax and so that's the kind of physiological side of it but then there's kind of a third side to it which is now coming on and that's um really big paper got published last year and that's what we call the kind of gendered environmental approach so you kind of look at a woman in her life and you kind of think okay well is she so we know that uh there a woman is probably less likely to be as as strong as a male and meaning by strong we mean by that would actually go in and engage in resistance training so is it is it that she's not as strong or is it that she's actually that life has probably taught her to maybe be inside doing something rather than being outside mowing the lawn or lifting the jackhammer or doing all these things day to day that actually make you strong and similarly mm. going into the gym lifting weights um, and uh, maybe engaging in sport less frequently from kind of that early teenage years that actually load the ACL and make it grow thicker and stronger? Is it actually more so our environment that kind of actually uh, creates some of this? So my guess is after reading a lot of the literature, it's a bit of it's a bit of it all, probably. It's probably not one thing on its own. Um, but I guess we are moving away from that thing that it's it's you know it's our body's fault rather than maybe mm. actually some of this stuff is our environment that we can change. Wow. So yeah, I mean those sorts of um, yeah environmental uh, factors and just the way our world was built too are being recognised much more as kind of factors in the the reasons things happen um, for women, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of how like our society uh, shapes a lot of our kind of thinking and doing um, is certainly interesting. And I guess we kind of, um, in terms of sports, we're looking in a little bit more into that at the moment and doing some kind mm. of uh, qualitative research like we like we kind of talk about, which is talking to women and kind of getting their experience of things um, and how that kind of affects uh, culture and sporting culture, yeah. Mm. 
Um, I understand that one of the pieces of evidence that's already emerging is that you are seeing um, evidence that that women are stronger in the in the first half of their cycle. Um, can you explain to us about that and 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 what's happening? Why that is? Yeah, you, you actually just uh, you said something there that's very controversial in this in the scientific world. Um, oh, so 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 I'll just I'll just correct you just for the sake of that are not saying anything. So at the moment, there is no evidence that we're stronger at any time in the cycle. Meaning, if I go in and do a you know as lift as hard as I can right after my period and do it three weeks later, I may not be any stronger at either one of those times, right? So it probably doesn't, the research shows them would affect my performance at any time mm-hmm. in the month. However, what we see is a better ability to adapt from training. So they're a little bit different. So it's a, Absolutely. a training yeah. response, right? So mm-hmm. actually it's quite a nuanced thing. And even in science, people get very confused Um with that concept so that's probably just an explainer um to start thank you <laughs> no problem um <laughs> so with that in mind if you kind of think about uh, the menstrual cycle um and i know i'm aware one of you guys is a nurse right is that yourself matt it is me okay. yes Okay, so you're, would you be aware of the menstrual cycle yourself look i've been a registered nurse for 21 years um <laughs> Even sort of anecdotally, of you know, ninety-two percent of my colleagues are females. So, yeah, no, I'm aware of yeah, a fair idea. So, a fair idea. Um, okay, live with three women as well. You know, you live with three. <laughs> right. So there you go. Your environment shapes on I mean, you. It's know, right? just but, everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So basically, day one of the menstrual cycle, you have your period. Uh, so you have a bleed uh, that basically means your the egg that you released two weeks ago hasn't been fertilized and your endometrium lining is being released. For two weeks after you have your period, you're basically your levels of estrogen in your body rise. And estrogen is a female's version of testosterone, basically. And so it's anabolic. It helps us when we lift weights or do something hard, it helps repair. Uh, that 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 tissue and build build your kind of blocks back so you have that and you have that building all the way until you release an egg in your ovulation ovulatory stage two weeks later and when you release an egg uh, then it eventually becomes what we call the, the corpus luteum if it's not fertilized um, and what that corpus luteum does it it releases off progesterone in the second two weeks we don't know exactly what progesterone does yet. It does need more study. But what we do know is that it wraps around estrogen and we call it anti-estrogenic. And so it stops estrogen from working so well. And so that's why we have this basically attenuated estrogenic response or what we say not as, not as much response to stimulus in that second half. And so that's basically uh, the second two weeks. And then you get your period and it starts all over again. So um, I guess a lot of the research has basically periodized and said, right, if we do resistance training uh, in this first half of the cycle and we compare it to doing it in the second half or the whole way across, uh, what does it show? And so it's not uh, definitive yet, but results are promising. It's a difficult area to research, as you can imagine, because um, 
every woman's period is a little bit different and her cycle is a little bit different. But by and large, the results are quite very promising. Uh, so you're seeing in some studies like a 20, 25, 30% uh, increase in, in strength when you can do it in that way. Mm. So, sorry. Yeah, go for it. I was going to say, as as runners and, and speaking to a bunch of runners, yeah. um, are there implications from from that first two weeks um, impact or effect um, that might translate to running, do you think? Good question. So at the moment, the evidence isn't there for aerobic uh-huh. training. So I would say in terms of your aerobic stuff, uh, that's not clear yet. So I would say stick your run in the whole way across. Uh, But if you do resistance training, and I would argue, especially for women that are listening that run and run run long distances, they should be doing specific resistance training. Um, And if you are doing that, and maybe you're replacing your Monday or a short run or easy run with a weight session in the gym or at home with a couple of barbells or dumbbells that you have, if you have a natural menstrual cycle, maybe try and do it in the first half of your cycle. Uh, and that's what I would say is probably the takeaway. Even a step back from that, Eugene, I would say just as a number one, like maybe start tracking your cycle. And that's very, very important for our runners because we do know with long distance ultra runners, uh, we have a lot of women who are very, very lean. Mm. and um, we do have women that actually lose their menstrual cycle. And so I would say before we can even train around it, you've got to make sure you have one and you've got to make sure that it's consistent. And for a lot of women, probably within our ultra running community, that may be an issue. So we may even have to take this just a step back for some people that are in our community. So that's sort of starting to get into the, around the sort of the, what they call the female athlete triad, right? Correct. Yeah. Red what used to be called the the female athlete tried it's now called red s syndrome so relative energy deficiency in sport um which uh you know any any sport which has an emphasis on leanness um would really carry additional um risks for women who participate and men uh, actually it's very relevant for men in this sport as well and and so um yeah i would say that is basically an issue where you have not enough energy coming in and too much going out for the energy that you have coming in. And what happens is your body systems actually start to uh, become compromised in several different ways. Um, you see, start to see things like uh, amenorrhea or uh, disappearance of periods and, and menstrual cycles and you start to see things like bony stress fractures coming on uh, non-adapt or inability to adapt to training um, for men you actually uh, have issues with uh, things like er- erections um, can be a sign of low testosterone because your body's just not showing it um, or not creating it sorry because um, just not enough energy and so there are uh, implications for red s for um, uh, athletes yeah I'll just add for that I did a study a couple of years ago we did a, a regression on a lot of a kind of analysis on a lot of women and men who took part in the woo you know the Wellington urban oh. um, I don't know if you were part Ah, awesome. Okay. So uh, I'll just beat you to the bat on that one. Uh, We'll just say that one of the really interesting things I took from that was 
uh, when we kind of went to see uh, what what you know made men and women faster was it the same thing was it different um, from the data that we took and I guess uh, BMI was correlated to race time for men but it wasn't for women and I kind of looked into that a bit more because uh, that's not a thing like a Hoffman, who's a researcher in Davis, California, looked at finishers in Western States, women, and, and it was. So I thought, oh, something's amiss here. Ours isn't really the same. But I realized that actually it wasn't significant because we didn't have a much of a range. Most of the women that actually took part in the in in New Zealand have a very, very small um range of BMIs so you only really get quite thin women who enter the competitions in the first place which is so they self-seed basically in or they self-select um, into uh, trail running or ultra marathon running which is slightly different to um, men so that's probably just something we have to be aware of uh, in this sport mm. and something that we have to encourage is that you don't have to be tiny to take part uh, in trail running and that is kind of a rhetoric that we do need to kind of push um, for the people that are involved that maybe are suffering with red s and also the people that are not involved and um, because they feel uh, you know like they're too big and and that is something that i hear in clinic as well from women often so i mean it, it's it points back to what you discussed at the start you know and is that terrible sort of implication that just physiologically it's your own fault because your hips are too wide that your knees were you know and then looking at so much more nuanced and there's social factors and you know psychosocial factors gender factors, all of those factors in there um it comes up time and time and again i think with both women and men but more predominantly women eh, that sort of that almost that shame of not wanting to toe the line because you don't look a certain way or to the perception your either your own perception or society's perception of, of what a runner looks like correct yeah and 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 uh, guys I'll, I'll tell you myself I'm, I'm not a big person you know and uh, and I go to run I went to old ghost a couple years ago and I remember looking around the room thinking oh my god I think I'm the biggest woman in here you know and I'm not very big <laughs> but you know you're aware of it I don't know if any guy in the room would have thought the same thing Um, so you just kind of it, it didn't affect my performance I did absolutely fine but it's just an internalized thing I guess so mm-hmm. I think but there's an opportunity here absolutely for anyone that's a to to get someone out um you know someone that you know that maybe is saying oh I don't know I don't know if it's me you know and you kind of think I wonder what's behind that just are you sure do you want to just come out for a couple of k you don't have to do the whole ultra you know you could just come out and and it's I guess it's just a change of um uh, I guess there just needs to be a bit of encouragement and um promotion I guess a little bit and cultures maybe you know um yeah because uh, there, there is a different culture within trail running than there is in road running. You know, you, it doesn't, we don't, we're not all going out for the fastest time, right? You're going out to have fun. And so um, I think that's uh, probably just something that will come with time, but it just needs to be promoted a little bit um, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something we we talked to Charles Ama-Ama about a few weeks ago, um, who was, you know, he was a big guy um, and got running initially, uh, would run in the dark so mm-hmm. no one would see him, um, and then turned up to a race start line and looked around and thought, oh, I don't, you know, 
I don't fit in here. But found in trail running that everyone was welcoming, that everyone was there to try and get him to finish. And, you know, they wanted to encourage him. They didn't care about how long it took and stuff. So it's it's kind of a, a messaging issue, isn't it, as much for our sport as anything? I think so. I think, um, you know, it's that sort of thing where you think, oh, they're an ultra runner. They must be really serious. You know, they must uh-huh. be a really thing. And then you go to a race or you go to a kind of a uh, a thing and you think, wow, it's actually more so a, it's, a, it's a very open uh, scene. And so maybe some shorter races might encourage people, you know, yeah. you, and you do see that with, you know, like I think uh, I listened to your one with uh, your uh, podcast with Lucy and, and her saying, you know, someone who's doing the 27k at Tarawera, you know, they work as hard for it as someone who does the 100. And it, it's just like that, maybe opening up an even shorter ones and that again to just try and encourage those people who, um, yeah, mightn't have taken part in the big one, but could be part of it and then build up over time. Definitely. You get this. I mean, yeah. I had the same thing with uh, Moon of Valeria, who's a, a, a She's a her, her blog's called Fat Girl Running, right? And and she's she's African American, um, and she, you know she gets, you know, rather than that sort of silent like all the her, her film she did a film with I think it was Pat I can't remember who it was with but just like it starts with this narration of the abuse that she gets and this was during she was doing an ultra marathon and there was someone commenting on her social media you know you're disgusting you're a bad role model you're promoting this really unhealthy way of being and it's that thing isn't it? it's like if where do you start and where do you start certainly we're all aware of the physiological benefits of having being healthy but like without that pressure to automatically lose weight you know it must be so daunting well, I feel sure. that myself I mean it's so daunting in terms of that sort of you must be a certain size or you must do this and it, I guess what you're saying as well is one of the tenets of a healthy being is is this very sort of natural process that happens you know that, that is just part of life absolutely uh, yeah I saw her I saw that uh, video I remember in Wellington in the embassy um and it I think we saw it as part of band for mountain film festival or something and I think that was the one film that got a huge round of applause like it yeah. resonated with a, a lot of people understood it uh they could feel it and uh, it 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 really you could feel the energy in the room um uh-huh. but yeah but look looping back I guess to where we started from um yeah, that's what I would say in terms of tracking the menstrual cycle, going back to it. If you're not getting it, that's probably an issue. You should go and talk uh, to probably a GP or a sports medicine doctor, someone who does have um, a bit of knowledge in that area. And um, and then uh, if you are tracking your cycle, you can sort of add on some resistance training to it. I will just uh, also add that the other thing uh, runners could note is um, some previous research also talks about kind of the impact of heavy menstrual bleeding. Um, so Georgie Brunvels, who's uh, the creator of that Fitter Women app that they have, she's done a bit of work on uh, kind of heavy menstrual bleeding. That could be an issue for our trail runners uh, just because uh, women are at risk of low iron uh, when they do have kind of heavy menstrual bleeds. And so iron is obviously very important for uh, uh, bringing oxygen all around our body and about one third of women will have uh, low iron and so if you're trying to train and you're feeling quite tired all the time and you do get a heavy menstrual bleed it it would maybe worth mentioning also to your GP um 
just in regards to that um, that specific situation. And you can, uh, if you track your cycling, you realise that's happening really consistently, then that's an easy way to go in and to start that conversation with your uh, health practitioner because that's another thing people uh, tend to be in that that's a thing that I'm presenting in, in May is uh, in the UK is just about the comfort people have actually talking uh, and discussing kind of the menstrual cycle with their health um, professional uh, because a lot of people actually aren't. So using uh, tracking in the first place, you can go in and say, hey, I've got this app and I've noticed these things and it can just be a really open way to start that conversation. I'm really hopeful that this conversation is challenging some of our listeners. I'm really, really hopeful about that. Like, uh, you know, there, there will be some of our listeners who will, and I'm not suggesting it's strictly the men or the big, you know, I'll go for a trial run. Well, are they talking about throwing their headphones into the bush or whatever, you know, but there's that sense of it. You know, we, so, we talk about things. So this is a biological process. And it's easy for me to say, right, as a, as a, as I'm fully aware of that, it's so easy for me to say. But um, it's great that we can, like, talk really openly about it and the health benefit, you know, like, using as part of overall health yeah it's been um what we call like a social stigma for years so um that's kind of what I'm writing about at the moment that yeah it's basically stigmatized and so uh, in sociology they talk about like identification theory which is um or objectification theory sorry which is basically where uh, uh, women are more objectified so you're more seen as something like a, an object um and that's uh, for for a woman to attract uh, a man um and so obviously the menstrual cycle gets in the way of that um because it's stigmatized so then it's it's concealed and it's concealed in the way that oh we'd never want to show someone like a tampon or or you know if you're playing sport which is a very big thing if you had like white shorts or something uh, if you leak and so you just conceal it so that might prohibit you from doing something and um, communication is usually different so like um, it means we'd use euphemisms such as like mm. time of the month or your mate or uh, not the proper word um, you would laugh or use deflection techniques to kind of put it away from you and then uh yeah, so there's kind of these things that go on, which it is normal. It's just what, not normal, but it, it's been the way it has. But a lot of these open dialogues completely throw that on its head, um, because it it once something's out in the in the open and not uh, it kind of it's very difficult to have a stigma around something that's talked about openly. I, re- I remember mm. Katie Wright sitting around and that- our kitchen table. Uh, she'd just been to the year she went to Biggs. She'd just come back from Tennessee, like we did a live podcast in, in in my kitchen I remember that that conversation she had she was like yeah I got my period of course I did and then the moon cup and then Emma you know, she had a pace she had a crew like trying to find tampon like yeah. just she just and she's just sitting there just like chopping beers and, and talking about this it was it was really I remember that was like a really cool you know she she really cracked that the first person on the podcast to really talk really just openly about it, it was it was cool because why wouldn't we? Yeah. You know, it was a factor. Yeah. It was a it was something she had to deal with um, in the middle of this race. So, yeah. you know, of course we should yeah. talk about it. Sure. Yeah. We should, yeah. Look, you've got the broadest Wellington accent I'm, I've ever heard. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> but you still, 
they said that there's no regional accents in New Zealand. They're wrong, ladies and gentlemen. No, I, I mean you study physiotherapy. I'm really sorry, sorry. No, no, it's amazing. Uh, you study physiotherapy at Trinity College in Dublin. What attracted you to the field in the first place? Oh, good question. Um, look, uh, this comes full circle. I, um, I had, I was always interested in sport. Um, and so I played Gaelic football and soccer and uh, cross country and stuff. Um, more for the social aspect, to be honest. But uh, I played them all growing up, and um, Gaelic football is like in Ireland. You have, uh, you know real religion so the church and then you have uh the other religion which is uh gaelic football and um i was playing when i was about 15 and uh i injured my knee so i remember turning for a ball it was my first ever senior match you know where you get to play with the older girls and women and um i turned for a ball and my femur went one way and my tibia went the other and um I just dislocated it, a sublux, so it popped back in. Um, and I, uh, in typical fashion, I knew this is the long story, in typical fashion, I thought I was fine and insisted as a 15-year-old to go on a date to the uh, cinema that evening that I had prepared before and ended up having to be uh, lifted out of there, basically, um, and being brought straight to the hospital. And... Uh, I had hemarthrosis of bleeding within the joint, so my knee just blew up. And um, I had a, a lateral collateral ligament injury and a meniscal injury. So very similar to the ACL injury that I'm now studying. Um, so basically, I went through the whole uh, keyhole surgery. Um, but the issue was, in Ireland, we don't have ACC. And so you get your surgery in the public hospital. But I didn't, apart from the couple of steps up the... Um, up the stairs to make sure I could use crutches didn't have that much physio but I really suffered with my knee after and I, I should have had physio um, to be honest but you're, you don't have any coverage um, when you're in Ireland unless it's private and so I, I was interested in it um, from that personal experience and then obviously playing sport you know you go to all the matches and the physios on the pitch and you kind of think oh they look really cool like I'd like to do that and so uh, that's probably how I ended up going into uni there doing physio and loved it but ended up uh, in hospital wards for you know, two years after, um, which wasn't quite so glamorous as, as I thought it was going to be at the start, but it was also a good learning experience. So, yeah. Gaelic football. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a sport. That's a sport. <laughs> yeah, I recently got back into it, actually, here in Wellington. And it's it's a great sport. And do you know what? It's, you have to be fast. So you have or you have to be fit, like it's it's an aerobic sport. So you're running up yeah. and down the pitch. So um like uh, someone who likes trail running or ultras that can run, you're very good. Like I'd go into midfield and because you can run up and up and down, up and down. And um, but you also kind of have to be agile and um uh, and fast as well. So it's very different fitness um in some ways, but it's a great sport and um yeah, at home I think you sell out kind of eighty thousand seater stadiums, even though it's a it's an amateur sport. You know, no one's getting paid um, 
for their time so it's uh it's very much a, a sim it's a kind of a pride thing I guess yeah that people like to yeah, play and, yeah. and go but um yeah they have a team in Wellington and so we joined up for socials just to do something different you know um I you guys have a, a tour in a community I know um but sometimes uh, it's nice to just go back and, and jump into a team sport for a while um just yeah. even as a socials in the summer and uh so uh yeah, we jumped into that this year and managed not to twist another knee. So that's probably <laughs> oh, brilliant. I nursed with a guy. Who a was, uh, I mean, it's... I nursed with a man who played Gaelic to quite a high level uh, back in Ireland. This man, he was a oh. monster. Just the thought of him thundering down, <laughs> thundering down the field like this is, you know, he was a mon- an, a literal mon- like a monster. He was massive and just so <laughs> fast and aggressive. Like it was, <laughs> yeah. Up for it is the word I would use. Yeah, yeah. Wow. My my grand. Yeah. Oh, sorry. My grand no, had used to play with a guy. I think was a was a similar to that, uh, but he was an orthopedic surgeon. So he used to say, "This fella, you know, he'd break you up on a Sunday and he'll put you back together on a Monday." <laughs> <laughs> the all-in-one package. <laughs> oh. you, you mentioned the. Um, being on the wards for a couple of years, but you've also got to do some pretty cool stuff. You you worked on the musculo sorry musculoskeletal field with some Swiss in Switzerland. With I presume that's with skiers. Is that right? Was yeah. that kind of a how did that fit in, and what was what was that like? Yeah, I've done. Yeah, I did um, ski season. I've, I've crewed for Ram actually twice, which was cool. The race across America, but yeah. um, the Switzerland was. Don't worry, we want to talk about that as well. <laughs> I was like, I think you might be interested in that one more so. Um, the Switzerland was crazy. I came up to the end of my two-year rotation in Singapore, um, in which I had a great time, and a bunch of um, basically us Irish physios went out. We had a, a it was the recession at home, and so there was a recruitment embargo on all allied health professionals. And uh, uh, Singapore actually came over to Trinity and recruited us all in the final year of uni and said, hey, we need people. We'll fly you over. Uh, we'll pay for you to stay there for two years and you come work in our hospital. So we did. And then uh, Singapore was great, but it was it's it's a big city. And, you know, someone who likes trails and mountains and um, the rest of it. Uh, I saw an advert for a physiotherapy practice in Verbier, which is a kind of um, just up the mountain from Lausanne or kind of Geneva type area, quite near to Mont Blanc and, and Zermatt, the, the Matterhorn uh, type thing. So uh, I very luckily got, um, I actually flew to Kuala Lumpur to meet with the, the person's husband who owned the clinic as he was flying through pre-COVID days, you know, where everyone was flying around, jet setting around the world and uh, had an interview in the airport in Kuala Lumpur and then went to Switzerland for six months after Singapore. And there I basically uh, did physio, I did some Pilates, Pilates instructors, instructing and did a, a lot of massage basically um, for skiers that, um, so we would work from about four to eight or nine in the evening. So we had the whole day to ski, um, which was just incredible because Verbi's a, uh, it's an off-piste area, so you learn very quickly to to get your get good enough so that you can get an avo pack and um, 
head uh, around all the basically just huge Swiss Alps um, that's on your back door. So where we lived was ski in, ski out. And uh, we worked a little bit and uh, skied a lot uh, is probably what I'd say um, in terms of that six months. So uh, I don't know if either of you guys have done a ski season. Uh, it's short, short and intense, but I'd recommend it. I've, I've skied once in my life and I just fell over so often that I, I quickly kind of realised I'm no good at this and there's better ways to get oh, wet. Oh, you, no, you're missing. Okay, look, I will tell you this for my first month. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, I, I did go back another day and we were snowed in and we just drank mulled wine all day and I thought, okay, maybe skiing's not too bad after all. In your retirement, I think I think the problem is learning as an adult. You need it. You need time, and so you're always going to have that with the first couple of weeks or for the first month before Christmas in the season. I had a, just a, a a constant rip in my groin because I'd fall so much that it would just keep splitting. So I said, right, it doesn't it doesn't matter. I just wear a pair of pants underneath it. So I can I can get where you're coming from, um, but. Uh, it's worth the struggle if you do get the chance again. I reckon if if you got time, maybe it's a retirement job. Uh, <laughs> All right, I'll think about it. Um, yeah, what we did get there was a lot of a lot of a lot of injuries. Um, with skiers, you get uh, knee injuries, so I saw very few ACLs um, there. And then snowboarders, um, you get a uh, you get the, the the wrist injuries, so you a lot uh. of a lot of wrist injuries um, fractures. So we actually, as newbies, I was a newbie skier at the start of the season. We were allowed by our employer learn how to ski because even if we injured our knee, we could probably You're still, still work. Yes, but we were not allowed to learn how to snowboard. You could only snowboard if you knew already how to snowboard. So that was the deal. You're really selling it. <laughs> You're really selling it. <laughs> but no, it's a it's a it's a good area, and I think it's uh, running in there in the summer. And we did a run there actually. The first run I did there because we were living at about two four, which isn't that high altitude, but it's it's still significantly higher than the you know sea level. And uh, I we I went for a run the first morning. I lived with six other physios, so we were all very active, you know, uh, type people, and. Uh, just that breath you know just trying to get your lungs was uh very hard um but I did live with a, a woman who was training for a, a race and this is a cool race called Petrue de Glacier um I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it it's like uh you you basically start at the uh you start at the Matterhorn uh, just under a new ski tour um basically across a bunch of peaks and uh uh, you ski tour up, skin up. Um, so it's a very aerobic sport, similar to, to trail running, you know, just uh, lean and uphill. And then uh, you ski down and you do that multiple times. Uh, and then you arrive back in the village where we were and you take off your skis and you run uh, down the road. And so, um, yeah, it's very European type race, I guess. This isn't truly, and I feel qualified to say this, mental races in Europe. Like some of the stuff that, like we think about Tour de Jantz and we go, ooh, Tour de Jantz, but there's, there's, there's more extreme races than that as well. Like we, like full crampons, you know, you got to take everything with you, the helmets and the 
abseiling ropes and stuff. It's just like, I guess, if it's on, I guess if it's there, you're going to use it, aren't you? But, God, I mean, what's the point? <laughs> <laughs> when is enough enough? <laughs> Wait, no. <laughs> Never, never. never. Yeah, that's right. So, like, I mean, musculoskeletal health is something that, as runners, you know, like, and you've talked about as well today. Like, it's crucial. Um, it seems like an obvious question, but just wanted you to weigh in on it. It's the age-old question. I mean, should runners be doing strength training as as trial runners? Should we be doing strength training? How much should we be doing? Yeah, I would say. Um, should should everyone should be doing strength training? So I would say uh, World Health Organization uh, recommended guidelines is that people do 150 minutes of aerobic activity a week. Mo- no doubt. So that's around two hours or two, uh, two and a bit hours. Most trail runners probably hit that. Most trail runners probably don't hit the two sessions of resistance training that you're supposed to do a week. And they probably don't hit the two sessions of, of strength, stretching that you're supposed to do a week. So I would say most trail runners especially masters um uh people who are less likely to engage in that sort of strength training stuff outside of their running environment and their structured environment so meaning they're less likely in their own environment to do it as part of day to day uh so you're talking um maybe people who are a little bit older female uh especially but everyone should be doing two sessions of resistance exercise a week and I would say that would be worth missing your easy run you know if you don't have enough time then I would say it's worth missing your easy run to probably do a session of strengthening it's probably more in your favor and in terms of injury prevention absolutely so um and also the ability for your joints um as we all age to take that load um strength training is absolutely essential yeah i probably can't stress us, that no no, no for the and, and for those of us at master's age i'm looking at eugene and certainly myself uh, <laughs> <laughs> i've read you know jason coop was saying that the the type of lifting you should be doing is you should be lifting doing more intensive strength training in the that period so it's not so much like Heavier reps, uh, heavier weights, less reps. The older you get, you should lift this sort of with more intensity. Is that look? Um, this I actually, it's I. I would probably say uh, that there's a little bit of debate in the field. I, I'm not sure exactly what they're saying these days. Um, in terms of you know what uh, what the general research says, and Brad Schofield, who's a a big kind of strength researcher in in New York. What he kind of says is that it really doesn't matter if if it's really, really heavy and short amount of reps or it's not that heavy, but you're doing a fair amount of reps. What really matters is that you're going to exhaustion. And that's what I would say. And by exhaustion, what we mean is when you finish a set, whatever your set is, that you should kind of feel like you can you couldn't really do more than two more. So it's it's more so that. So if you're doing what we call a bicep curl or a knee extension or a leg press, or you're at home with a squat, um, you should just actually feel like your legs are are, are tired uh, and sore probably the next day and that you kind of feel like whatever your set is in that even 40 second rep that you're going for, that you're feeling like I couldn't have lifted more than one or two more of those uh, in wow. that round. And if you could then add a bit more weight. 
yeah. My legs are feeling sore. For, yeah, for and this is the thing. It's like not for today, but not for today, but for tomorrow <laughs> yeah. and the day after. The day after, that's always the worst. Yeah. And I, I think about like in my program, like I've got to go out and do interval training tomorrow morning. I think if I'm going to exhaustion the night before or the day before, like I'm going to be a write off. <laughs> you have to time it. That is a good point. Don't do it right before intervals or don't do it before sometime that you've to. Uh, go football training and kick and your hamstrings you can't move them it's not a good idea either I've been there <laughs> um so look yeah I would say you know don't don't do uh resistance training really heavy the night before you go for an interval run but I would say if you're doing like intervals on a Monday then you could probably do your strength training maybe on a Tuesday you could do them on tired legs um and then you've got probably a break on Wednesday maybe in you know a longer run on a Thursday uh, I don't know that that's the way road runners usually do it and then a break on Friday and then kind of your long thing for the weekend and um, so I would say everyone's going to be a bit different there is the other thing of you know put on a pack and go out to the bush and uh you know uh walk up uh, a few hills in the Tararuas because uh, that's the same idea probably it's resistance training just in a more outdoor environment and you can do that you can slow down from running and you can put on a heavy pack and you can go do some hills and that is also that's essentially uh you know doing kind of a, a load of squats so um in terms of the specific rests and sets it's a, a slightly different but that would be considered strength training also mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, we did say that we want to talk to you about Race Across America. So you better tell us about that because that's amazing. And you you did it twice. You yeah. you, you were physio twice across. It. I mean, it, just can you just tell us a bit about? I didn't go with what it's like the atmosphere. And... Yeah, I didn't go with Harry Time though. Eugene, you you, you saw that. Right? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> enough. Um, no, like maybe a long time. Uh, the energy, oh, it's incredible. That is an incredible race. Yeah, it's just just the scope of it, just the scale of it. Um, you start in Oceanside, California. Um, I got there because um, uh, I crewed for race around Ireland before I left for Singapore. So I'm a runner. My dad's a road cyclist. Um, so I'm training for at the moment as a road cycling race with him when I when I go home. Uh, he is a road cyclist and is friendly with, uh, and I'm friendly with a couple of guys in a triathlon club in Ireland, and they um, were doing race around Ireland. And actually, the perimeter of Ireland is half the distance of the width of the United States. Um, if that makes sense. So it's because it's, you know, yeah. there's so many inlets and outlets. Uh, it's actually mm. uh, half the distance. So it's about two and a half thousand kilometers. And they qualified for RAM. So I did physio for them and they qualified for RAM. And I went off to Singapore and thought, oh, that would be cool if I got to go with them. Um, but then uh, they didn't go. And uh, I went with a different team uh, basically <laughs> what happened so I was kind of on some uh, page and they were looking for a physical therapist um uh, Provost so a, a head of a University of Texas A&M um Jose Gonzalez was uh up for RAM and he wanted a physical therapist he had a nurse uh, so in RAM you basically start in Oceanside California 
And then you do the raw course first, which is the race across the West, uh, where you go through uh, Arizona, Utah, and it's just pure desert. And uh, that uh, basically wipes out about a third to half of the riders before you get to Kansas, Colorado, Kansas, that first thousand kilometer mark. Um, you go on and then you basically go through Colorado, Kansas, and uh, you go into Illinois and head over towards Annapolis uh, on the east. Um, and so you need a nurse for that first bit because uh, you need fluids, basically, and you need someone who is ready to help you if uh, you become dehydrated. So a medical professional or, or an, uh, a nurse, basically. And then obviously you're at risk of getting a lot of uh, different injuries. One of the main injuries being, um, I'm not sure what they call it, but it's, uh, I can't remember now, but it's basically where the your neck muscles fatigue because you you time trial a lot on the flat. Um, and so you're lifting up your head. So your, your neck extensors, your short neck extensors actually get quite and fatigued and so a lot of people have to actually use bars and strap them onto oh. the back of their neck uh, to to keep their heads up. <laughs> yeah yeah it's crazy so then you go over the Appalachians and you're descending with uh, no neck control it's absolutely <laughs> insane um but luckily enough uh, Jose got me on board and we got him doing he would do trainer rides of five six hundred kilometers uh, leading up and then we'd get him to go in the sauna so he'd also be hot and then he'd be do doing a lot of strength exercise for his small uh, muscles and uh, in his neck and also his scapular kind of muscles at the back and so he actually uh, he the year before we he tried and he failed ram because of that issue but the first year um that uh, we came over and we got him doing those exercises got him taped up and he made it across in and we made it across in in 12 days i think that first time wow uh, wow yeah so so it, it it is crazy you have a car that basically goes behind the rider at all times and um and they they go for about uh who oh, they went for i think that first year uh every day they take a 90 minute sleep and then every four days or every thousand kilometers he would take a four hour sleep to get some um uh, uh to release some growth hormone uh basically uh, for repair and you would uh, basically throw him into a hotel uh, and um he'd sleep for a few hours and come out and then you go again and then it would just be naps in the car basically when he was falling off the side of the road um in between those times and then around kansas you hit uh that's about two thousand kilometers and you hit usually hallucination around that time um, because they're just so so sleep deprived. You're talking six, seven days at no sleep, eight days at, at that stage, um, and um, th that's when a lot start to pull out saddle sores uh, around those times. Um, anyway, I'm just talking injuries now, so you've got no, me. No, it's I'm brilliant. Like, I mean, you're probably wanting to hear about the landscapes no, we'll, we'll, and, no. and the thing. I'm thinking, no, 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 oh, no. injuries. Like, that that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that's more about the injuries. Like, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the next yeah. fall off—it's amazing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the the uh, yeah the hallucinations are a good one because you do get that with trail running over the really long ultras as well, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. I think we were in 
just that one side of Kansas and Kansas is a straight road. So basically um, it's very dependent on the wind. So uh, you'll tie, so the sleeps in, in Ram you time with the weather. So they should be really during the night, but like in the desert, you time the sleep for midday so that they're actually out of the hottest part. Um, in in the likes of Kansas, you time the sleep when someone might have a, a headwind so that they wake up and then they take advantage of a tailwind, um, perhaps. Um, and so there's kind of just a bit of strategy kind of along the way um, with that or, or a bit of a rest before a climb and all that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I did have, I think he said, uh, one evening Jose said we were on the phone in the car you know because you're trailing behind someone and we said okay Jose it's sunset you know you've gotten through another day and he said yeah it's it's much nicer here today than it was yesterday and I was like oh no Jose we weren't here yesterday you know and uh and he was like, no, no, we were. And I was like, no, we're on a one-way trip across the States. You know, we don't we don't have time for turning around. So um, that was when we kind of knew he needs to be cut off. Um, so he uh, needs a little sleep. So you basically have a big crew. Sorry, probably not happened with that. You have about nine people per rider. Uh, so you need someone in the car behind who's driving behind. Then the person beside them who's navigating. The person in the back seat who is preparing food, uh, water, protein shakes, electrolyte drinks, um, and that's basically one car. And then the second car has to be gone on, who is basically doing the same thing, but they're gone on because the riders are actually going so fast. They cover like four, five hundred k or around four hundred k a day, I think. So they, you actually have to get significantly ahead of them, so you can sleep yourself, um, and. Mm. Uh, get sorted and then there's usually a third car who would do laundry and do the Walmart shopping as you go across so it's a big a big setup for something like that yeah yeah wow yeah and then a kind of a manager that oversees the whole thing I guess uh yeah so race director you know team director type thing and and they actually um in the last third of the race have have complete control over whether the rider keeps keeps racing or not because usually um by that point uh the rider's not in great condition so next uh, capacity yeah. to make decisions uh, yes yeah you know about that man you know Oh my goodness! I, human beings are incredible. That's all I'll say. It's, it's speaking. I mean, speaking of races, you know, you're a keen trail runner yourself. What are some of your favourite races that you've done? Um, uh, I'd say my least favourite race at the moment is probably this PhD. I mean, it's like <laughs> doing an ultra, but for four years uh, is probably what I'd say. Uh, but I'm only joking. Um, my favourite run probably has been Old Ghost. Uh, so far it's just have you done all goals yourself no, no I cool. oh great yeah, yeah, yeah. You've, you've yet to experience it I'm so excited for you uh, anyway that's turned a good spin on it and probably what sounds like a tough story yeah. um but if, if for me I was so nervous with the distance that was the longest ultra um that I was going to have done. I'd done a few before, but um, more that kind of 50, 60, and obviously Ogos is 85. Um, but just the community down there is so special. Um, obviously that race director, um, 
I, I forget his name. Um, sorry, but they've done a great job in creating that kind of atmosphere down there. And then just the course itself is so runnable. Um, we uh-huh. had done like a, a huge tramp, 11 day tramp through the Southern Alps as training. Um, kind of, it wasn't running, but it was a really heavy bag, self-supported for 12 days and and sort of didn't think I was that fit because it took a, a while to recover from that. And then you just go to Old Ghost and it's um, obviously it's graded for mountain bikers. So you just kind of think, oh, I'm absolutely flying. And uh, you get to that 40 um, K mark midway and then just flew home and just really, really enjoyed it. Just such an enjoyable day. Um, yeah, that and yeah. yeah. So that's probably. I've heard that Phil so, Roster. Phil Roster. That's, that's his name. Yeah. 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 <laughs> With his famous race briefings. It's just fantastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like his race briefing. And then we did it. And then, God, I got to see, like, uh, you know, Ruth Croft is obviously awesome. She won the whole race that year. And that was so inspiring to see. Um, yeah. So just the whole thing. And, um, is was absolutely fantastic so that's probably been my favorite race yeah. so far yeah have, have you always run um have i always run no well i didn't i wasn't like an athletic you know young kid who did like athletics club or anything no but i started relatively older probably in uni so um did a couple of school runs the odd cross country more so to get probably get out of class um but I uh, properly started in third year of uni when I was 20 and probably uh needed to start uh, uh um you know stop going out so much as a, as a university student think I need to do something that's a bit healthier and uh got back into running and then you know you just find that uh, special a special feeling that uh, you just constantly chasing for the rest of your life that uh, the one that's happy and content and um and moving meditation kind of um and I just got that yeah probably around I'm 30 now so around 10 years ago and I uh, did uh, road running mostly uh, until I came to New Zealand and then found out about trail running and um yeah I signed up to yeah do some uh, big races and uh, yeah I think that what a country like to be able to trail run uh from main cities mm. it's incredible um my partner does it so now it's it's also you know quality couple time as well which always even makes it better so yeah on the south coast there you're spoiled with with great um trails nearby <laughs> and, well the whole of Wellington really I mean, this is turning into a. We've had a couple of weeks of yeah. Wellington um, praising of the the trails in Wellington, but um, it really is. They really are magnificent. Like for me, it's actually it's a huge part of living here. Like I, I choose to live in Wellington. You know, I'm not from here, um, but just the quality of life from actually as a, someone who loves running uh, to have those right from your back door is it's actually a huge huge amenity. And um, yeah, I I like I'm very very thankful um that it's here and I just hope it stays protected yeah um forever and in the future absolutely yeah well look yeah. you know you, you've been so generous with your time I I mean speak for both of us thank you for the work that you're doing it's been it's been so interesting and and and, and useful and I hope challenging for people um and it's great to you know normalize 
this process and and like you said destigma destigmatize and and be open um i wonder if i buggered it up before by sort of asking you if you had a greatest run ever do you have a specific you know we ask that question come everyone who comes on dirt church radio do you have a specific greatest run ever Oh, no, every run is, uh, I'm probably going to, I haven't thought about this, so I would say, uh, not specifically, <laughs> Matt, I would say uh, every run that I get to go on is, oh, that's a, that's actually a ridiculous thing to say, isn't it? Um, I can't think of one now, you put me on the spot, so I feel bad. Um, I, yeah, I would probably just say, um. Oh, you've got me now. Um, that any running every run you've been on is the best answer <laughs> that I've ever heard. I think. I think that because that's the thing, isn't it? Everyone's different, and sometimes they're great for some reasons, and sometimes you know a different reason in another day. So I, I'm prepared to take that as an answer. I don't know. No, you we'll about take you, that Matt. definitely. How are you, you no, going to vote? I, I vote yay. Thanks for pulling me out of the bus, under the bus. Oh, no. no, I threw you under as a four when I said, have you, got any, have you got any runs you really like? Sure, I've, we've been doing this for four years. I should have probably. Oh, you know what I will questioning out. No, you know what I will say, though? I live in the South Coast in Wellington, and uh, when I go, when we go running, and it's the sunset. Um, and if I'm ever homesick or, I, you know, you've had a hard day and you go running and the sun is setting on that South Island over the Kaikoras and I come around by my house and we drop. So you have to climb up a bit, but then you drop down to the house and it's like, wow. And I think any time that that happens, that's probably like my best run ever. Yeah. That's a there we go. Answer. There we go. We got there. <laughs> we got there. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, Emma. We really appreciate your time and um, good luck with the rest of your ultramarathon slash PhD. Thanks, guys. I hope to see you out on the trail soon. Definitely. Thank you so much. I love it. Yes. Thanks, Emma. And, this is a, and I have to say, you know, it's a funny thing, as I said to Emma, as well, being a nurse for 21 years, you know, statistically, like over 90% of the people I work with are women. And so whilst having not had a lot of conversations around about periods, I've had a lot of conversations around me, you know, mm. because it's, and it's, it's a, it's so, I, I guess that makes it sort of quite a normal thing for me. Um, but it's so great to hear someone talk about, you know, ACL injuries, recovery and, 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 just the the normalcy of it it's 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 amazing so thank mm. you emma and uh you know we hope you long may you continue yes thank you so much um thank you to everyone for tuning in as well we're on social media at dirt church radio and you can email us dirt church radio at gmail.com you can find us on all the podcast platforms like and subscribe if you fancy leave a review if you want and you can download direct from the website which is dirtchurchradio.com don't forget when you get back from that run that you're on now, send in your greatest run ever. We'd love to hear from you, and you can read them on the website too. Send them into us, dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Scott Running, Further Faster, Cielli, and SOS Hydration. Thank you to our Patreon patrons and Wild Things, and thanks to our editor, Kieran. Stay tuned next week. We've got another great show lined up. Matewa. 
Thanks, Rigby.